turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And the title of tonight's message is that our nation needs men of valor. Needs men of valor. Our nation needs men of valor. And we're going to look at this story, parts of the story of Gideon, and try to understand better how we can be those men of valor. Now, I know we're talking about men of valor, ladies, uh, you could be ladies of valor, but let's be frank, uh, let's be candid, let's think about this. In your experience, is it more likely for women to follow closely after the Lord, or is it more likely for men to follow closely after the Lord? Yeah, that's been my experience. I, I know lots of women who, boy, they are in their Bibles, they're studying, they're growing, they talk with each other about the Word of God, and we men get together and talk about fishing. Or sports. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as anyone. I'm, right? And, and uh, when's the last time you read the Bible? Well, we read the Bible. We had scripture reading this morning. No, no, no. When's the last time you read the Bible? Oh, we don't know. How much time are you spending in prayer? There's a lot of ladies that they are faithfully praying. They've got a, they've got a prayer list. That doesn't mean that they, they're a better prayer. But what it means is they're dedicated to praying for people by name. They're dedicated to praying for particular uh, requests. Uh, they come to me. They say, Pastor, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this particular request you left with me or, or praying for this person. Do you know men that do that? I'm sure there are. But doesn't it seem more rare? And that's why I, this evening my burden is that our nation needs men of valor. It's not that we don't need women. It's that some of us men need to step up. Now, this is what happens this is what happens, and you know it, but let's be frank. This is what happens. When we see women doing a good job, we say, hey, let them do it. But God doesn't need just women. He needs us, men, too. So it's not enough just to say, well, you know, my wife's praying for the family. No, no, you need to pray for your family. Well, my wife's praying for the church. That's good. I want your, you women to keep praying. But men, we need to pray, too. Um, there's a couple of reasons for tonight's message First of all, we've been going through these disciplines, these devotional disciplines, and they're for everybody. They're not just for men. But let me help you understand, men, if you don't develop these devotional disciplines, if you fail to develop these habits of righteousness that God wants in your life, you are limiting God's ability to use you. You're limiting God's ability to use you. Let me give you a sports illustration. Men, we, could, we can understand this. Uh, coaching basketball, I'd say to some guys, I'd say, listen, if you don't learn to dribble, I, I can't, you can't very well play on the team. They say, well, but coach, I can shoot the ball. Yeah, but you can't even get into a position to shoot the ball because you can't dribble. Worse yet is the guys who thought they could dribble and they couldn't dribble. Right? Listen, I need you to learn to block out, to, to, to rebound. Yeah, but, but coach, I'm so good at running up and down the floor. Yeah, I, I know that, and I need you to run up and down the floor, but I also need you to learn this discipline. The same thing is true with these spiritual disciplines. Men, we're going to limit how God can use us if we don't develop a personal discipline of prayer. Now, God doesn't need us to pray. Don't misunderstand. Did Jonah pray for Nineveh before he went to preach there? No. And yet hundreds, literally the Bible tells us hundreds of thousands of people were saved. It's not that God needs you to pray. You need to pray. You need to be a man of prayer. If you're not disciplining yourself to, to, for concentrate, concentrated, concentrated time of prayer, 
You're limiting what God wants to do in your life. Same thing with meditation. Are you meditating on Scripture? In this last week, the last seven days, was there a verse or two or maybe a passage that you meditated on? Week by week, Cindy has been, I've picked the verses, but Cindy puts them right here in your bulletin. This week's verse is, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law uh, doth he meditate day and night. Listen, if you haven't ever memorized that verse, memorize it. Meditate on it. If you have memorized it, my guess is many of us have some idea what that verse says. Why don't you spend this week meditating on that verse? Because we need to saturate our souls with Scripture. You are going this week, unless you lock yourself in your bedroom and and don't touch anything, you are going to face all kinds of temptation. People are going to bombard you. Now, you're going to face temptation even if you lock yourself in your bedroom. But the truth is, this minute you step outside your door, there are people who are trying to trip you up. There are people who are hoping you fall into sin. There are people who are going to make money off you falling into sin. And if you haven't saturated your soul with Scripture, how are you going to know right from wrong? How are you going to have the grace of God? When Jesus was tempted with sin, what did he do? When Satan came to Jesus and he said, listen, I, know, I tell you what you need to do. You're hungry. Let's make these stones into bread. What did he do, Hattie? She raised her hand, by the way. Hattie? He said a scripture verse. Our children know this, but are we doing it as adults? You say, well, I don't know much scripture. Whose fault is that? Now, I know we're busy. I know, but you know what? We have got to prioritize the right things. We've got to prioritize the right things. I remember uh, <laughs> being part of it. I like to tell the illustrations about other churches because that way you don't feel bad, okay? But I'm sure this happens at this church too. I was at a church a group of men meeting about this church and how we can help our young people. And someone said, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to get our, our young people together on Tuesdays. And a young person said to me, we're not going to get together on Tuesdays. Tuesdays is half price night at the movie theater, and that's when we go watch movies. Now, let's be frank. What was the problem? The problem wasn't the church didn't have enough activities for the young people. The problem was the church didn't give the young people a vision for loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they're spending hours every week at the movies, which probably is not... How many of you think that's going to feed their soul? Okay, and instead of being with God's people, talking about God's word, studying God's word, and we're going to find, increasingly, we're going to find, we're going to find that we feel very different than the people around us because the people around us are so wrong about life. They've allowed their selfishness and their sinfulness to make their decisions for them, and increasingly, they don't have a moral compass. Their moral compass is broken. And when they say, hey, come with me, I got something to show you, you can almost guarantee what they have to show you is not something good. And at best, it's a waste of your time. And you've got to decide, no, no, it's more important for me to meditate on Scripture, more important for me to dedicate time to pray. There's a lot of these disciplines, and I don't want to go through them all. But let me say this next. This is all introduction, by the way. So the next thing is, there is a difference between men and women. There's a difference between male and female. It doesn't seem like I should have to start a sermon with that. But it's true. 
There's a difference between male and female. There's a difference between men and women. The Bible says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we need to come to grips with this, that women and men are different. And what God has called us to do is different. There are things that only I can do in my family. And there are things only my wife can do in our family. And when I try to take my wife's jobs, I'm a failure. And when my wife takes my job, she does pretty well, so I'm going to let her. (laughs) No, seriously, we laugh, but how many families do you know work that way? Spiritually speaking, it's the wife who runs the family. There was a missionary in Mongolia. Again, I like to tell stories about other people so you don't feel bad, but this happens here at this church too. There was a missionary in Mongolia. I said he was really struggling in, in in his, just his walk with the Lord. I said, hey, what's going on, brother? He said, well, you know, growing up, my mom was the one who took us to church. Mom was the one who made sure we learned Bible verses. Mom was the one who taught us uh, the Bible. Dad taught us sports. He said, I just figured men did the sports and women did the spiritual. You can understand why he, growing up and seeing that that example, would, 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 would come to that conclusion. Men, we ought to do the spiritual too. Maybe our wife is better than we are. But God called me to do it. Not her. Now, he called her to do things too, but he called me to be the father. He called me to be the husband. He called me to be the man. Now, that isn't that men and women, that one is better than the other. That's what Galatians 3.28 says. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Some people take that verse and say, well, see, there's no difference. No, no, that verse is saying we're all equal before God. But there is a difference. Now, let me use a musical example. If we were to go out as a church and say we would like a brand new Steinway, full-size grand piano. By the way, they actually have like grand pianos and concert grand pianos. Well, let's just say we want a grand piano bigger than this one. We're going to pay literally tens of thousands, maybe $100,000 for a brand new Steinway grand piano. Do you realize that violins cost more than that? You want a good violin that you're going to play with the Philharmonic Orchestra, you're going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some of you know Ken Lynch. I didn't know this until Ken Lynch said he has two violins, and one of them is worth more than $100,000. I said, can you just leave that at our church on accident? (laughs) No, I didn't say that. (laughs) Now, is there a difference between a piano and a violin? Oh, yeah. But they're equally valuable. Equally valuable. It's just there's a difference. There's a different musical output you get out of a piano and a different musical output you get out of a violin. They can play the same notes, but they're still going to sound different. And as men and women, we are equal before God, but we don't play the same roles. We don't play the same notes. We don't sound the same. And men, what, what is happening in our society is that we're letting the women do the spiritual, the, the spiritual work, and we're saying, well, you know, we're just going to provide for our family. Now, men, we are called to provide, but we're also called to be spiritual leaders. Both. We're coming up here on a study of fatherhood on Wednesday nights. The men, the ladies are going to continue in their book on Seeking Him. Men, our book is Disciplines of a Godly Man. And starting on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about this discipline of fatherhood. And I can tell you, you cannot be the father God wants you to be without developing those devotional disciplines, those habits of righteousness in your life. To be the father God wants you to be, you're going to need to be in prayer. You're going to be meditating on God's word. You're going to need to know how to live the victorious Christian life. You're going to need to know how to respond to the Spirit. 
Those are just basics. Those are just givens. We have a building program, new building going on. And uh, by God's grace, we're going to get into that building in 2023. You pray. We're going to get into that building in 2023. You say, when? I don't know, but we're going to get into that building. Uh, Yeah, amen. So pray about that. But guess what that building means? It means we need more of you to step up and be met. We do. Because guess who's going to come to fill that building? Mature Christians who've been looking for a church for 20 years and didn't know where to go. No. We're going to have people who are not saved show up. Who's going to disciple them? We are. You say, well, pastor, you need to hire more people. No, no, no. We need to step up. I've seen two types of, basically in the United States, I've, I've, I've been in a lot of churches. There's two types. There's a church where the people do the work, and there's a church where the staff does the work. Now, as much as it's nice to have staff, you can fire them if you don't like them. You know, you can yell at them and put a bad note, these people don't do their job in their employment file. As much as that's a nice thing, the truth is God called the church to do the work. That's you. Now, I have a job, too, of training you, but you are called to do the work, not me. Uh, Solely, excuse me, I'm called to do the work, too, but not just on my own. If we're going to utilize that building, we need some of you men to step up and be the fathers that you need to be and be the husbands you need to be and be the men you need to be. Ladies, we need you to pray for us. Because most men are basically lazy, and we don't like responsibility. Amen. Thank you. I'll tell this story. Guillermo recently came to me. He said, Pastor, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. I said, I need you to lead the Bible reading. No, 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 not that. I don't want to do that. Seriously, I said, what are you talking about? You just said you want to help. Do the Bible reading. No, 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 Pastor. I, you know, I have this accent. How many of you care that he has an accent? Out. Get out right now. I mean, seriously, that, it doesn't matter to us. We need you to pray for us because we, we, we are. We're like that. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, yeah, I want to do it, but not that. No. Pastor, let's get a new building, and we need to find more people to work in that building. How about you? No, not me. I, I, I'm busy. Let's, look at, so let's see what we learn about, uh, about the, uh, the people and, and Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Let me pray, and and then we'll get to hear it. Father, um, calm our minds so that we can focus on what the Scripture says. We love you, Lord, and we are. We are men especially. We're often irresponsible. We're often careless. We're often more than content to let our wives and the women in our church do the work that you've called us to do. And we need your forgiveness We need your Holy Spirit to motivate and to animate us so that we are excited about doing your work. We need your wisdom to know how to do your work. We need your grace and your energy to do the work. We need to be motivated by our our love for you, not by fear, not by guilt. And so we ask, as we look at Gideon's life and the situation in which he found himself, that you you would use that to hone our thinking, to change how we think, to change our want or to change our desires and to conform us to the image of your son. Lord, we do. We want our church to bring great glory and great honor to you because it's filled with men and women 
who love you and are more concerned for your glory than their own comfort. So we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Judges chapter 6. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains, in caves, in strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown... This is an agricultural society, so they're sowing seed. They're going to reap a harvest. So when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they camped against them, and they destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come into Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now let's start there tonight. What is the the proximate reason? What is the obvious reason why the Israelites are impoverished? What is the, 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 the reason you can see with your eyes that the Israelites are not successful and, and, uh, and, and prospering. Roger. The enemies, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the children of the East, they're coming in and they're, when it's time to harvest the crops, they're stealing them. When there's an increase in the sheep or the oxen, or, they're stealing those things. That's the obvious, the proximate reason, the reason we can see with our eyes. But let's take it a step deeper. Why are they being tormented by their enemies. Yeah, verse 1, it says, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, why does it seem like our enemies are prevailing here in the United States? Is it because God has lost his power and he's temporarily out of control? I don't believe that, not for a minute. Why is it that churches are so weak and Christians are so ineffective in our society. I'm going to go back to verse 1. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We've squandered our spiritual power on our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. We're not praying. We're not living in a way that honors the Lord. We're not making decisions that are more concerned for God's glory than our own comfort. And so, of course, the enemy is more powerful. The problem is us. The problem here was the children of Israel. They, they would like to say, well, the, no, 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 pastor, no, no. The problem is the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east. There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but why are they, why is the whole bunch of them more successful than the Israelites? Because they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, let's jump to the end because we know the end of the story. How many Israelites does it take to defeat the Children of the east that are like locusts and they cover the land. How many? 300. Let's imagine, let's imagine for a minute that God said, I'm, I'm not saying he does this, but let's imagine, just thought experiment. God said to himself, listen, what I need to do to turn the United States around is I need 300 men. Now, now again, women, don't, don't take offense at this, but let's imagine God said, I need 300 men. And so he started to pick 300 men in the United States. How many men would he find in this church of those 300? Good. Where's one? 
Two. Listen, the problem is, you're not a man. The problem is not that we're willing in the moment, because we are willing in the moment. The problem is tomorrow we've got to live as if we're willing. And Tuesday we've got to live as if we're willing. And Wednesday we've got to get on our knees again and we've got to pray. And frankly, we get tired of the dailiness of our Christian life. How do I know this? Because I've been in those services. I mean, the guy, boy, he could preach. And they give an invitation and people just stream. Hundreds of people stream down the aisles. The problem is I know these people that stream down the aisles. And the next year they're back sinning and just living like the devil. In the moment, it was easy to say, yes, I'll serve. Yes, I'll go. But it was the dailiness of it that tripped him up. The reason that our enemy is greater than us today is not because God's arm is shortened that he cannot save. It's not that he's lost control or that he's even stopped paying attention. It has nothing to do with Russia or China or socialism. You know what it has to do? It has to do with God's people being distracted. And specifically, if, if I can be so bold, it has to do with God's men prioritizing other things over our walk with God. And so we do have an enemy today, and the enemies, they don't ride camels. Be nice if they did. We could identify them very easily. They don't steal our grain and our cattle. Our enemy today, they control the Internet, and they're trying to steal your soul. They're trying to steal your innocence. They're trying, if they can't steal your soul and steal your innocence, if they can just distract you, Now, men, I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't need you to respond. This is a rhetorical question. But how many times in the last month should you have been praying and instead you were looking at a smartphone, you were looking at a tablet, you were looking at a television, you were doing something else distracted by the Internet? It can be cat videos. I don't think there's anything evil about cat videos. It's just a waste of time. I think cats are a waste of time. But cat videos are even a real waste of time. And we're distracted. The number two, the two biggest money makers on the internet are pornography and gambling. And I can tell you God doesn't want you involved with either one. He doesn't. You don't need to gamble in order to somehow meet needs. God's going to meet your needs if you'll wait on him. And you definitely, pornography is just right off the table. There's no way you can justify it. The, The enemies we have today... I'm going to borrow a name from someone else. Let's call them the secular engineers of the soul. They're trying to change the way you think and the way you feel and the way you respond to life. They do this through music. They do this through movies. They do this through journalism. They believe themselves to be more enlightened than you and than me. They think they know better than everyone else. They seek to impose their own standards of righteousness Not the Bible righteousness, I'm not talking about that, but their ideas of righteousness. They're unforgiving. People say that Christians are unforgiving. These people are really unforgiving. You could have done something 30, 40, 50 years ago. And if they don't like you today, they have no problem dredging that up, even dredging up lies about you and pretending as if somehow you're disqualified from any type of service because of something you did 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. I don't do that to you. They're unforgiving. They're harsh. They support massive, heavy-handed government intervention in our lives. And they think that by technology 
and by technique, we can change our reality. These are the people that'll say, even if you're born with an XY chromosomes, you can be a woman. And even if you're born with XX chromosomes, you can be a man. You just need surgery, and you need hormones, and you need, no, 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 no. No, we need truth. We need God's truth. Their strategy has been a long march through our institutions. I have a lot to say about this, but let's just be frank. It appears, from where you and I stand, it appears that the enemy is winning. That's what it looks like. Go back to Judges chapter 6, verse 4. They encamped against him. They destroyed the increase of the earth. Verse 6, Israel was greatly impoverished. Now, I'm, I'm using this as an analogy, but they've destroyed our institutions, or they're actively working to destroy them, and the church has been impoverished. The church, us, other churches. And the main reason, the main reason that God's churches are impoverished, the main reason that God's people here were impoverished is because they lacked male leadership. Now you say, okay, preacher, now, why, why do you always have to pick on us men? Well, let me ask you. Go back two chapters to Judges chapter 4. There's a prophetess. Her name is Deborah. She goes to Barak. She says, or Barak. She goes to Barak. She says, Barak, God wants you to lead these people against Sisera. And do you remember what Barak says to her? What does Barak say to her? Yeah, if you come with me, I'll go. He says to a woman, if you come with me, I'll go. That's what he says. Judges is, what, what happens when God's people go wrong? That's what Judges is, the book. And here we see what happens when men say, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I, not me, Lord. Uh, my wife, she's really spiritual. Now, I'll be frank. I think my wife is probably more spiritual than I am. I'll be candid. I think she probably is. God didn't ask me to ride her spiritual coattails. The God's people are leaderless because the men won't stand up. Now, let's get to the story of Gideon. Verse 11, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, see what he's doing here? He knows the Midianites come in after the harvest is, is, or as the harvest is ready, and they steal the crops. They're really happy to let Israel sow the crops. They just want to take the crops when they're done. So they come in, they steal the crops. So what Gideon's done is he's, he's looked around, and he's found a hiding place behind the wine press where he can thresh the wheat. Now, remember, threshing in that time would have been in taking some, some sort of instrument and throwing the grains up into the air. The wind comes and blows the chaff away, and the grain falls to the ground. Now, that's hard to hide, because as you're throwing things up into the air, you can see it. So I'm imagining, and it says talks about dens and caves. I'm imagining there's a depression in the ground where he's found, and he can throw the, the grain up just enough that the wind can blow the chaff away. The grains fall to the, to the bottom, and the Midianites are not likely to see it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating here for effect, but... Gideon is so proud of himself because he's found a place to hide. He's found a place where the Midianites are not going to bother him. And he can just feed his family and he can just, just get along. 
And I think too many American men, we just think, well, if I can just hide, and I'll just take care of my family, and I'll just do what's right, and just let the Midianites do what they're going to do. That's the wrong attitude. That isn't going to be part of the 300 that are going to overthrow the enemy. Gideon's first problem is he doesn't see the enemy as a problem. He, the problem is I don't have enough food, but if I can find a hiding place, there, there will become a time if, if God does not intervene, there will be no place for Christians to hide. You think the situation in Cuba is weird, where some of them are allowed to preach and some of them aren't allowed to preach? You don't think that's going to happen here in the United States? Already in Canada, we have instances of, of men who've preached the Bible and they've been hauled off to jail. Now, you can preach anything you want in Canada, just don't preach the Bible. And I'm, I'm convinced that unless God intervenes, that's, that's where we're headed to. The answer is not to find a good hiding place. The answer is not to turn off our streaming service and don't tell anyone what we do here. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. They want us to cower in fear and get into our dens and our caves and, oh, I finally found a place where I can thresh a little bit of grain. My family will be okay this year. Yeah, your family may be okay this year, Gideon, but what about next year? What about the year after that? And what about when you're gone? See, Gideon's, when I say they're leaderless, it's because men think that their only duty is, I'm just going to take care of myself and I'm just going to take care of my family. Now let me have you turn, hold your place in Judges chapter 6 and turn over to Hebrews chapter uh, 11. We're going to look at verse 32, verses 32 and 33. Listen to me, men. Listen. I want you to hear my heart tonight. The people of Israel in the book of Judges are in trouble because they're leaderless, because the men are content to just just do what they can, just that little bit, and we're just going to hide, and we're just going to hope that they don't notice us. What is the name that we give to Hebrews chapter 11? The Hall of Faith, we call it. And we get to the end of the Hall of Faith, and here in chapter 11, verse 32, and what more, shimmy, and what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. There's a story right there, to tell of Gideon. And what did Gideon do? Jump down to verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Does that sound like people who cower in dens and caves? Hoping, crossing their fingers, hopefully Fox News can fix this. Fox News isn't going to fix this. Hopefully the Republican Party can figure, the Republican Party's not going to figure it out. Democratic Party's not going to figure it out. Or Democrat Party, whatever. They're not going to figure it out. It's going to take men of God and women, again, don't be offended. We need you to pray for us because the truth is it's going to take men of God who don't say to Deborah, okay, if you come with me, I'll go. They subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. Why aren't we doing that? Well, let's suggest that it's our lack of faith. We've got a whole chapter about faith. We get to the end of the chapter, the guy says, look, I got so many examples. I got Gideon, I got Barak, I got David. I have so many examples to tell you, and they subdued kingdoms. But not us. We're, we're, we're too busy threshing our grain, and a little, little, we found a little hole. We're going to be okay. We're going to be able to feed our family this year. And we're so short-sighted. 
What, what is Gideon's response? You know a lot of the story, so I, I go back to Judges chapter 6. I don't want to go verse by verse. But the angel says, hey, Gideon, listen, mighty, you're a mighty man of valor. And here's what his first response is. Look with me at verse 13. I'm back in Judges chapter 6, verse 13. Verse 12, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Does Gideon say, Amen. Give me a spear. Give me a shield. Give me something. Let's go get these guys. No, he says, this is what he says. Verse 13. Gideon said, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this upon us? And where be all his miracles which our father told us of? Gideon is blame shifting. And who is he blaming? Say it. God. He's saying, listen. Call me a mighty man about Where's this God that our fathers tell us about? Until we men quit blame shifting and say, I'm going to take responsibility, you can just expect the Midianites to overrun the land. It's not going to change. It's not going to change until God has some men who say, I, by faith, I'm going to subdue kingdoms. I'm going to rot righteousness. I'm going to quench fire. I'm going to put to flight the armies of the aliens. It's not going to happen when the women make that decision. It's going to happen when the men make that decision. Gideon says, it's God's fault. Here's his next thing. Look at uh, verse 15 with me. It's Judges 6, verse 14. The Lord looks, says, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And this is what Gideon's response is. Verse 15. Oh, my Lord. Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. I can't do it. I, I, I'm, I'm nobody. Uh, well, what resources do I have? Now, listen. Gideon is just flat out lying. Look at verse 27 with me. Judges 6.27. Then Gideon took... Ten men, what's the next three words? Of his servants. He's so poor, he only has ten servants. No, that's what the Bible says. He's so poor, all he has, we're so poor. We only have ten men. How many servants do you have? I mean, Gideon is just lying. You know, we do that. Man, let's be frank, we do that, don't we? God, put some responsibility. Oh, I can't do that. I just because we don't really believe God's grace is sufficient for our circumstance. We don't really believe that God's power is enough to enable us to do what he's called us to do. We're content to just, God, just let me thresh grain in this hole. Why do you have to bother me? Go bother him. You understand why I say that they're leaderless? Because when God comes to Gideon, he says, hey, you're a mighty man of valor. Yeah, what about that God that says he's so powerful? Listen, I'm sending you. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm just poor. I'm nobody. Man, we can make, I'm really good at making excuses. I'm really good. I was a high school teacher. I wrote down excuses students gave me for not having their homework done. I can give you excuses. God doesn't need excuses. He needs some men who will say, this is my responsibility. I'm going to do this. We're not done yet, though. Verse 17. And he said unto him, if now, he's talking to the angel, Gideon says unto the angel, if now I have great, found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign 
does the angel show Gideon a sign? Who remembers the story well enough to know the two aspects of this amazing sign that the angel shows Gideon? Who, who remembers the story? It's there. In, yes, Chloe. Not yet, not yet. Yeah, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. First thing he does is he brings an offering. The angel touches the offering, starts the offering on fire, and then the angel ascends up into heaven in the flame. Now, if you saw that, would you believe that God had spoken to you? I think I would. I mean, I know we have the Bible. I'm saying, if you were in Gideon's time, and you had an angel who could start a fire just by touching something and then rise up in that flame up into the heavens... Don't you think you would say, you know what? I'm pretty sure that was God. But Chloe's right. What does Gideon do later? Well, God, you know, I know I just saw the angel start a fire and rise up. You know, are you really talking to me? I tell you what, I'm going to put out a fleece. And so God answers and, and does exactly what Gideon asks God to do. Does that convince Gideon? No. You see, guys, we can make excuses. We can tell God, well, if you'll do this. But then when God does that, well, God, you have to do this. And, okay, God, you did those things, but you've got to do this. We're just giving up our responsibility. We're just finding a way to get away from what God wants us to do. Is it any wonder that the Midianites control the land? It only takes 300 of these guys to beat the Midianites. And my count says there's 135,000 Midianites. It only takes 300. I bet we could turn this country upside down if we had 300 dedicated Christian men. But how many dedicated Christian men can we find in this church? And when I talk about dedicated Christian men, I'm not talking about those of us that are, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm talking about those that tomorrow we're going to get on our knees and we're going to spend time with God in prayer. And we're going to pray as if it all depended upon us. It doesn't. By God's grace, it doesn't. But we're going to pray like it does. We're going to spend time in God's word. We're going to value this, as Job said, more than our necessary food. We're not going to say, well, Lord, I, I spent time with you, but I got up late. I'm going, to get, I'm going to get some breakfast and get to work. We're going to say, God, I'm going to skip. my fault. I got up late. I'm going to skip breakfast and spend time in your word because this is more important than my necessary food. You say, well, I can't skip breakfast. Then get up early enough you can get into God's word. We can always find excuses. Gideon's going to find excuse after excuse after excuse. Now turn with me to Judges chapter 7. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. The angels touched the, the offering, gone up into the, the heaven through the flame. He's put out a fleece. It was wet one night and dry the next morning and then dry one night and not. You know the story. He's seen all this. He's, he's gathered literally tens of thousands of Israelites to fight. And God says, nope, nope, too many. Send some of them home. So he sends some of them home. Then they go down to the creek. Depending on how they drink the water, they keep, they're down to 300 men. Now, I think by this time, Gideon should be pretty convinced that God knows what he's doing. But look at chapter 7, verse 9 with me. It came to pass. The same night. The same night that they're getting ready, 300 men excuse me, are getting ready to attack the Midianites. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, that's the host of the Midianites, for I have delivered it, the host of the Midianites, I have delivered into thine hand, but if thou fear to go down, go thou with Purah, Purah, thy servant, down to the host. 
Gideon's seen all this. He's tested God over and over and over, and God's come through every single time, and there's still fear in his heart. How do I know? Because he doesn't go down by himself. If he's not afraid, he'd say, God, I don't need for, let me just go down there. I'll just check it out, just like you told me. No, you read on. He takes his servant with him. And he goes down, and he's just right outside this Midianite camp. It's dark. Evidently, they don't post a very good guard because they don't care. Who can hurt them, right? And so he's right there near a tent, and he hears the guy tell a story about a dream he's had. And his friend says, boy, this can't be anybody but Gideon. How much does Gideon need before he's just going to do what God asked him to do? Men, the problem isn't that we don't serve a great God. It's that we don't think he's going to do for us what he did for Gideon. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. I meet very few mature Christian men that really don't know what to do. The problem is we're not doing what we know to do. Now, every great once in a while, I run into a problem. I know you do too. And it's like, boy, this is really strange. Let's talk about it. Let's pray for wisdom. But nine times out of ten, I can go through a whole day and never once wonder what God wants me to do. I just don't do it. Because I'm lazy. Because I'm tired. Because I lack faith. Because I don't think God's grace is sufficient for this circumstance. And you wonder why the Midianites are winning. Our church needs, let me, let me back up. Your family needs a man of valor. You're going to be tested. I know I'm being tested. You're going to be tested. And your family doesn't need you to give up your responsibilities and go hide in the hole and thresh wheat. Doesn't need you to go out to the garage and fix the car, get underneath the sink and fix the, the faucet. Doesn't need you to watch football or basketball. What season is it? Basketball. Watch basketball. Your family needs a man of valor who's going to find a quiet spot where you can pray. And you can say, God, if you don't intervene on behalf of my family, we are lost. If you don't believe it, then you need to find another church. Excuse me. You need to find another church because people are coming to steal your children. They're coming to steal your soul. They're coming to steal your wife's soul. If you don't believe that, you're in the wrong church. And the only thing that's going to stop them is God. And men, we need to have a relationship with God that we can go to him and say, God, we need a miracle. You did a miracle for Gideon. We need a miracle here. But instead, we go to God and we say, God, where are these miracles that I saw in the Bible? Just like Gideon. We say, God, I just don't have the resources, just like Gideon. We say, God, if you're really talking to me, do this. Oh, okay, you did that. How about this? Oh, okay, you did that. How about this? Stop! Where's your faith? Your family needs a man of valor. This church, Elmira Baptist Church, needs men of valor. That's why, ladies, you need to pray for us, because I don't think there are nearly as many men of valor in this church as we need. I don't. I'm not even sure I'm the man of valor this church needs. You need to pray for me. You need to pray for your husband. You need to pray for your brother. If your brother's here, pray for your son. Let's pray for these young fellas. Billy has a class. Today there are three young men in there. Sometimes there's the fourth. Sometimes there's five. It just depends. Let's pray for those young men. Do you know what they're facing? Let me ask you, when you went through high school, was marijuana legal? 
They're being told it's okay. It's legal. Just be careful. No, no, t trust me. Stay away from marijuana. It will do no good. It will do you no good. They're being told. Have you seen that there's a proliferation of gambling? Do you think that's good for our young men? I don't think so. We need to pray. Because if God doesn't intervene, the Midianites are just going to keep destroying the land. The Amalekites are just going to keep coming through and wiping things out and impoverishing us. Men, we've got to decide whether we're going to be men of valor for our families and for our church. And then we need some men of valor for our community. We need some men of valor for Vacaville and for Fairfield and for Dixon. We need some men of valor for California. Jackie's in the nursery tonight. Pray for Jackie. I've gone really late. I've got about halfway through. <laughs> Let's save the other half for next week. How many of you men will commit to being here Wednesday night as the Lord enables and on next Sunday night to hear the rest of this message? Okay, thank you. Father, I, I'm convinced that unless you intervene, our nation is bound for more misery and more tragedy, more suicides, more deaths by carelessness, more drug addiction, more sex addiction, more pornography, more gambling. Father, I'm convinced we're headed for more lies, for more false narratives, for more politics, for more government solutions that don't fix anything unless you intervene. And Father, my church needs mighty men of valor who will quit shirking their responsibility, quit expecting our wives to do the spiritual work you've called us to do, and will stand up and say, not on my watch. Father, you told Ezekiel that you looked for a man among them to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And you found none. Ezekiel was already in exile. You looked back at the ones that were left. You found nobody. May that not be said about Elmira Baptist Church or about Vacaville or about California. And Lord, we are, we are glad to be right here in the crucible. We're glad to be here in California where all this wickedness is coming up. Because we want to be part of your 300. That by faith and by your grace, we take on the enemy. We say, not in my house. Nope, that's not going to happen. Not in my church. Not in my community. Father, I've been content as a pastor to thresh grain and be worried about feeding my family, feeding my church. Whatever happens to those people out there, that... that Forgive me for my short-sightedness. Make me and my men concerned enough about this church and about our community that we're going to be those disciplined men. We're going to build in those habits of righteousness. We're going to exhibit faith. Father, because you have called us to be men, mighty men of valor. Father, I, I just don't know what, what to do. If you don't get us up off of our backsides, sitting around, content to just do a little, and motivate us to do a lot, and motivate us to take the hard stands, and, mo and, and motivate us to say, no, 
This is lies. God's word is truth. And many of these men, they face difficult circumstances at work. They're being put in very difficult spots. Father, give them wisdom. May they be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And know where to say, nope, no, not, not on my watch. Father, help us. We need more men of valor. Help me to have the vision for Elmira Baptist Church that you have. To have the vision for the Dean family that you have. To have the vision for Vacaville that you have. To have the vision for Solano County and for California and for the nation that you have. And I'm asking, Father, for the impossible. I'm asking that you would raise up that 300. Not that exact number, but whatever number of men you need to make a change here in California and around the world. What happens in California doesn't stay in California. So, Father, we're asking that you would send your spirit to this place and change who we are from the inside out. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.